In this episode, we speak with Adam Harris, co-founder and CEO of CloudBeds, a leading cloud-based hospitality management system provider. Its software combines solutions for front desk, revenue management, distribution, guest acquisition, and guest engagement in a single unified system. The company has been through four financing rounds, acquired multiple companies, and driven billions in revenue for tens of thousands of properties. Today, CloudBeds is in more than 157 countries. The company has raised more than $240 million from investors such as SoftBank, Viking Global, Peakspan, and other notable investors. Adam co-founded CloudBeds in 2012 after finding it difficult to book local accommodation while traveling in Brazil. He and co-founder Richard Castle envisioned a platform that would allow any property, no matter their size, type, or location, to run their lodging business successfully. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click to subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So super interested in the hospitality sector and you know you have a niche software solution. Want to explore both the macro and the micro. Perhaps we can start off with this segment of the overall hospitality industry of uh, you know hotel software. Tell us about who do you actually target? Are these mid-sized hotels? Yeah, I mean, great question. This industry is one of the more complicated industries I've ever been part of, and, and I think that brings joy in what we ultimately get to do. So we classify hotels in two types. We have enterprise, which would be the major brands, and then independents. Independents are the largest logos um, in terms of number of hotels in the world, and then sprinkle in short-term rentals, and you have the sort of third alternative accommodation type. It's a huge market with millions of properties around the world. And what's really exciting about it is the sort of big multi-continent brands or even the regional brands have sort of made up their mind with the tech stacks that they ultimately use. What's fun about that is due to the lack of democratization of tech going downward from the big brands, it brought opportunity for us to actually build from the bottom up and actually work with all shapes and size independents around the world. And that's our claim to fame and where we basically made our business. And you know, the reality is that's really where the consumer is shifting to. I don't know if you've taken some trips this year or, or more trips in the last three years due to being put into perpetual jail uh, during the lockdowns. But, you know, travel has been a part of our ecosystem of, of society for 5,000 years, right? And if you think about the first in-stay that was registered outside of Jerusalem and then you forward that, you know, today... 300 million people will travel for the first time in the next five years. A billion people will stay in a hotel for the first time in the next 10. And that is due to macro rising middle classes, you know, easier to get visas, easier to get to places due to air routes and whatnot. And so I've never been more bullish on a sector for the years to come, but it has definitely, definitely had its difficulties over the last few years. There's some shock and awe. That took place uh, inside the industry, but you know, for our business, it's never been bigger. You know, our our room nights that we we sell on behalf of our customers are up 
40, 50% in some markets and in, in aggregate, that is the sign that we want to see. Now, there is some things out there that are, are impacting in sort of bringing the demand down a little bit, and that is rates have gotten ridiculous. You know, $2,000 used to be $700, mm-hmm. you know, $150 is now $400, and it's just this extreme inflation around room prices from limited service all the way up to ultra luxury. That's not sustainable. And I think that's giving some false positives in the industry. But outside of those headwinds, it's a lot of tailwinds. And and if you saw any of the earning reports that came out this week, a lot of positivity into the second half of the year. Mm -hmm. Now, where are you seeing the most growth? Is it in that short-term rental, which was facilitated by Airbnb and Verbo? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so short-term rentals definitely had their day in the sun the last few years. The willingness of a consumer to book pre-2019 on an Airbnb or Airbnb or that asset category was like 25% of the time. And fast forward to today, it's like 90% of the time they'll look at either Airbnbs or a traditional hotel. That's great for the industry, but it needs regulation too. It, I can't just have anyone open a business and compete with a hotel that pays taxes differently and has licenses and code of conducts and, and code code requirements that you know grandma next door can rent out her guest house for the same price. There needs to be some checks and balances, but outside of that, short-term rentals definitely had a really good run. I think they were up 19% year over year over year, but they only represent about 10% of the market. So we need hotels, but even that, Hotels were in single-digit growth, which was two times, three times where they have been historically. New supply is pouring into the segment. Every major brand announced some form of extended stay options, which is becoming a new part of travel and much more popular with both leisure and business guests. So all in all, we're seeing the right signs. We're seeing people want to invest in the sector. A lot of cash has poured into it over the last decade. And I think that's a great sign. now. The things that I don't like seeing is if you take McKinsey's report and you look at all of the top you know, 20 sectors in the world, travel is definitely one of the biggest at a trillion and a half dollar, but it's the worst out of that top 20 in digitalization. We're still behind the eight ball when it comes to accelerating how technology can impact the guests, improve the business operations, and ultimately drive more value to all parties that participate in it. But at the end of the day, that's why we're here and we're pushing hard on the innovation curve and, and trying to lead by example. When I think about the hotel space, it's really dominated by like some major brands, you know, whether it's Marriott that owns like 30 other brands or, sure. you know, its counterpart. And even when it, there's smaller boutique hotels, there's typically an affiliation with another big chain. So I'm really curious as to the independence and the number of independents that, you know, say well, we could take a random state, we could take New Jersey for an example. Sure. How would you look at this state in terms of the number of individually owned hotel brands? So 83% of them will be independent and the rest will be franchised. Now, the number of rooms in the franchises will be significantly larger than the independents. The independents will be 40 rooms or less. You have to include the small B&B that's five rooms or 10 rooms or less. And that, that all gets sort of brought into this bigger group of supply. That being said, where the most new supply coming into markets is not the franchises, it's actually the independents. 
And if you flex that into markets like Europe, you will see an even bigger number, like 93% are independents versus franchises. So franchises are really popular in the United States, but they're less popular in other parts of the world. And how do consumers search for the independents? Because it seems like if you're on Expedia or Hotels.com or Booking.com, it's all the franchises. Of course. Yeah. I mean, think about the tools that the biggest brands in the world have at their disposal to get their product in front of consumers. Marriott is no different, right? Marriott obviously is deploying some of the best strategies on how to get their room sold in a digital manner. Plus, they're backed by Bonvoy, right? One of the largest loyalty programs in the world. Independents have actually leveled the playing field thanks to systems like CloudBeds. So CloudBeds can put a hotel that's an independent right up next to Marriott in Google traffic, in Google search, in their hotel finder, all the way down to OTAs, booking.coms, things like that. And so like from my perspective, we actually have deflagged a lot of properties that were comfort in and now are an independent brand because they were sick of paying franchise fees that didn't really add up to ROI for the business. And really what happened when they took back control, they saw boosts in, in overall productivity. I mean, imagine you're paying 15% on the light end to a franchise just to serve as an intermediary for traffic when I can do that same thing for no compensation at all. And that's a big, big change to your top line calculations. And, and at the end of the day, there's no right or wrong answer, right? Franchises have a purpose. They will always be there. Management companies tend to operate franchises more than independents. And so there's sort of an infrastructure, this legacy infrastructure that exists in the United States to support the franchise model. But that is 100% under attack for sure. And in Europe, it's the opposite. And so it'll be very interesting to see over the next decade how that transpires. But this is a crazy phenomenon that I can't quite explain yet, but I understand why it's happening, but I can't quite explain what it really represents. But back you know, three or four years ago, Google was the primary originator of search inspiration for leisure travel. It is now second place. And it's second place to influencers on TikTok and Instagram. And so 62% of all reservations that are happening now are being influenced from some social media site. I totally understand because I, I, you can see how you get caught up in those feeds. And then with the introduction of things like threads and other new platforms that, are, that will come out now that Twitter is X, right? Who knows how that's going to transform Mastodon and some of the other social platforms. But nevertheless, we're seeing new forms of origination. Now, that's great because that's just on the web. What I need to do is now help collect that basket of people searching for inventory and ultimately drive that directly to the hotel, you know, the primary channels are still booking.com, Expedia, Airbnb as the sort of big three. But then there are regional brands that have dominant, you know, like Price Travel in Mexico. And you have Decolar and Despagar in Brazil and Argentina. And the same equivalents in trip.com being in China. So like these things have mastered discovery. That's where we go to sort of like, where could I go next? But we all get on our Instagram feeds and see my buddy who just came back from Tahiti and is like, well, that sounds pretty good. I, I might want to go Google that. But look, the reality is all of us consumers spend about 34 days across 36 different websites before we book a hotel. So there's lots of opportunities to inject a brand back into that discovery, and you don't need to be affiliated to a point system. So a lot of future leveling is in our cards, and we're super excited about what we've been doing. But it is definitely a new reality after COVID, for sure. 
And this leveling and rise of the independence, is that happening across all segments, meaning high-end, mid-tier, low-end? Yeah, 100%. I think certain types of accommodation style always just sort of operates at the same, right? So you could go down Daytona Beach and there's just condo hotel after condo hotel. They're always operating up to a certain standard and that's really never going to change. My system or, or any system on the planet isn't going to move it from 95% occupancy to 96, 97. There is a population that always is going there and it's always going to be there. And this is not about creation of new demand. This is about solidifying demand into your fair share. But nevertheless, we are seeing a rising tie lifts all boat moment where all brands are seeing benefit from more digitalization, better coverage from influencers, better coverage from Google traffic, OTA is seeing some diminishing returns on their investments. And at the end of the day, it just means that more and more ways of getting your inventory in front of a warm body is really a positive thing for the whole industry. And then how we monetize that on behalf of the hotel is where I think all the fun is beginning. Because if you think about what it is to stay at a hotel, that's one small part of a trip, especially if it's leisure, right? It's the food and dining experience. It's the experiences outside of the property. Maybe those are influenced by the property. Maybe those are actually microtransactional moments that the property can enrich and make more money from stay experiences. So all of that holistic thinking, as well as getting to know you better, like what are your interests? Like I want to see a day that I know you've been delayed in your travel journey to get there so that your favorite cocktail is slid across the desk upon arrival and said, hey, this is on us. We want you to settle in, enjoy your night. We know you've had a long day. That type of understanding and personalization is what I love about this industry. It's about hospitality, right? Mm -hmm. And hospitality doesn't mean if you want to give up a little bit of that or over-index, doesn't mean more cost necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to change your model. It doesn't mean you have to diminish your revenue per square foot. It just means you have to rethink how you engage with a consumer. You might be a I want to check in with my phone. I might be, I still print my ticket out at the airport every time I fly. And I'm a 360 member on Delta. I fly enough that I know that my app is going to work every time. I am an old school human. I like the paper ticket. We have to cater to different people. I'm not a WhatsApp person, but WhatsApp is super popular as a form of communicating with international hotels right now. And I love that. I love that sort of experience that if I need something or need help, I can just use the platform on my phone. But if that's not my native platform, it means I'm forced into a new experience. And so we're getting to a place where like tools like Whistle, which we we launched, is you know interacting with the consumer in a new way across all mediums. It could be text message, it could be email, it could be WhatsApp, it could be messenger, it doesn't matter. And so that agnostic communication process with the guests is that sort of next part of the journey which I'm really, really excited for. And, and that's where we're starting to see the digitalization curve accelerate. Again, these are tailwinds with some headwinds too, right? But it's going to be it's going to be a blast. It really is going to be a blast to see how it unfolds. The, the one thing that still gets me is the how long it takes to check in sometimes. Like when I arrive at a hotel, I just, just give me the room key. You know, I just want to go yeah. right to the room. For some reason, you, you know, you were making the comparison of some people wanting to do more digital versus paper-based and it's their preference. Is there anyone who likes the long check-in process? So, you know, there is a study, and I can't remember where it originated, so I'm, I'm going to use it lightly, but there was a study that 
basically surveyed a statistically relevant number of road warriors. Those are the salespeople who are out on the road every single week. And it was less than 20% of them wanted to use the digital check-in experience. And the reason is a lot of the digital check-in hasn't built in the upgrade path for being a better room type based on loyalty. And I think the reaction of going to the front desk and them looking up and saying, wow, you're a platinum member on Marriott Bonvoy and President Circle or whatever, gives you something. Not every time, but it gives you something. Mm -hmm. Whereas in airline, it's all been automated, right? Like your upgrade is guaranteed if you have the status and the seats available and you don't have to do anything, right? But in hotels, that is an opportunity to actually monetize around, hey, you want to check in early because your room's available, but it's not going to be free. It's going to be $35. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd pay that all day long to right. know that I could check in at noon, not have to wait till four. And the same thing goes for late checkout, right? Mm -hmm. If late checkouts are so desirable, monetize them because someone's going to be willing to pay. And if it's a Saturday, it might be more valuable than on a Thursday, right? Or a mm -hmm. Sunday. And so there's a little bit of total rev gen for a property that isn't coming into the equation yet because systems are too disparate. That's what CloudBeds did and is why we're successful. We are a rip and replace, one source of truth. We are the system of record and we are controlling all the angles of the business. Um, we call them lenses, but like, you know, there's like three lenses that are super important to these hotels. It's the day-to-day -day operations, which is everything back of office. And then there's all the distribution and e-commerce. So anything that helps get a consumer back in the room. And then lastly, it's the data that sits around it, right? So like those three pillars are so important to the success of a hotel. But there's also a second lens. That's the hotel side. There's the, also the small business side, right? And so we got to do all the things for the small business to make them more efficient as well. Because at the end of the day, this is not a nonprofit. It is a business. It's someone's livelihood. So... I love the intersection of some of these themes. I like the fact that the world is a little bit backwards. Most of the tools that you are checking into take about seven minutes just to sort of finagle the different screens because they were built in the early 2000s. It takes 10 seconds to check us in on our platform. So it's mm -hmm. one of those things. And we even have full ability to, to digitally check in without ever talking to someone. So there's two sides, right? There's the super advanced, and then there's also the very, very, very far behind. But keep in mind, 12% of all door locks in the world are digital. So you can't even interact with the super majority of them from a phone perspective. So we have a long way to go. And that's one of the headwinds is infrastructure. We need to upgrade hotel technology. I'd like to give our audience a great example of what CloudBeds does for its customers, for its clients. I'm wondering whether or not we take the stance of like giving a case study with a short-term rental independent owner, or do we do it, you know, for like a, a hotel, a boutique hotel? You tell me, but we'd be delighted to kind of show our audience what CloudBeds does. Yeah, that'd be great. We have properties in 157 countries in the world, right? So we have all shapes and sizes. And so I can definitely talk to the team and, and, and we can share more. I can share some examples right now of some of my favorites, you know, there's a property group called Cassetta. These are 30 room or less boutique hotels in San Diego, Palm Springs, and up in the mountains. And all of them share the sort of same feel and experience, but they've localized to their specific market. 
So for example, the Pearl does movie nights around their pool and it, it brings the community into the hotel and it becomes a sort of a mixing well. And, you know, they use digital check-in and they communicate with the guests via WhatsApp and text messaging and others using our whistle platform. Most of the reservations are, are evenly split between direct as well as online. They have a really good return profile of guests, which is rare for independents, right? It's typically you constantly see new people. They have a, a very good return audience, which is awesome to see. And they build some fan favorite and loyalty. And now people are going to their other properties and regions. So for me, that's a great example. Everything we did with CloudBeds enabled them to go faster to scale their own business, drive more reservations, save money and workflow. And I have hundreds, if not thousands of examples of other brands like them who've gone from legacy tech that was 17 minutes to check someone in or seven minutes to check someone in to a much more streamlined business operation where they're probably seeing 20% lift in bottom line as a result of our product. They're, they're seeing more pricing opportunities because of our intelligence engine there driving more direct reservations because we're a Google partner and we're, we're the launch partner with that technology. And so all of those bringing it together leads to a property owner being successful. And that leads to a flywheel for our business model. And we'll never lose that customer. I got to imagine that pricing a room appropriately is critical. Does cloud beds have a well of data and understand how to optimize each room? We do for sure. And, and so we have that through our partners and then we have it through our own product. But if you think about the dynamics of choosing whether a price should go up or go down is really driven by what competition is doing, as well as what travel patterns into that market is doing. And understanding that real time is tricky. It's a lot of data, but that's where generative AI, taking unstructured data, making it structured, and then even multi-model AI, which will be a new gold rush in the next couple of years, will introduce new ways of thinking about how you price a room. And a lot of the revenue management platforms that are out there only think about optimizing up. And the reality is there's moments where you have to optimize down too. And that is a shock to a hotel. You're like, wait, wait, you want to put my price down? And it's like, no, no, I want to optimize your overall property. And it's great to sell out your less expensive rooms, right? Sooner to maximize the ones that you know that you have, you know, better return or profit or whatever the desirable. And so it is a game of Tetris. I can't think of any other way of talking about it. And it just gets faster and faster as you get closer to the date. But yeah, we have pace data, we have market level data, we have so much that it makes it a little unfair. And we've always talked about at some point, Cloudbeds is going to get so big. We're going to have so many brands in a market where they're all using the same tool. And we're going to have this sort of ethics issue of how do you share data when you have two competitors in the same market? And we engineered around that problem where you didn't want false positives and data because two engines are saying we got to keep rising against one another. But nevertheless, that is probably one of my most favorite opportunities ahead is just helping these business owners get incrementality of other brains around them. I mean, one human breaks the business, you know, for a 40 room or less, especially in North America or any developed market due to payroll and taxes and things like that. So how do you take one person's salary and give that back in the form of technology or technologies? And that is where we are all about right now. Excellent. We're switching gears a little bit because you have investors that are backing your company. 
we do talk about that side of the business. Tell us about your investors and the value that they've brought to the table. Yeah, so great question. Well, first of all, we've raised many subsequent rounds along the way. Our early stage guys were those who were biggest cheerleaders, gave us the confidence to push, try things, experiment, fail quickly, and ultimately get the business to the next level. So if I were to sort of give a qualitative statement of all the different stage investors and what they represent, it was either cheerleading, strategic advice or tactical advice or guardrails, right? So like you need the cheerleaders because it's a grind, right? Like running a business is an up and down, left and right. It feels like there are more zigs and zags than you're going straight towards your uh, North Star. But that being said, you need that guy behind your gal behind you, high-fiving you when you hit a milestone. And we have plenty of them in return. We've given them unbelievable returns on their money. The institutional guys who came in early were really tactical. They were helped force us into building our business around really good data, efficient unit economics, focusing on core KPIs that really translate into what are the indicators of where we should push more money in and where we should pull back. And then the late stage guys were giving us guardrails for how we need to think about up leveling into a future publicly traded company, right? And so all three of them are useful in different ways. And it's funny because I tend to go to all of them in different capacities when I'm seeking advice. But you know, for me, my favorite type of investor has always been the person who I can call up and go, I'm thinking about this. And I need you to tell me what you think. And I really just want to hear I'm a no or I'm a yes. And then the follow-up is, but if you go do this exercise and you come back and you can convince me I might be a yes or I might be a no and I might flip. And so I use them as sounding boards frequently. I I try to do that for alignment. I try not to scare them. I definitely do occasionally and just for fun. No, uh, knock on wood if any of my investors are listening. But nevertheless, the point is alignment is so critical on the board and with senior management and knowing how individuals stand on big tactical and or strategic decisions, having misalignment, getting into a group think environment on a board call is just a disaster and a waste of time. So you got to sort of bring people along. And I think good investors are, are there to be guardrails. And that's super helpful. Now, what I don't appreciate, and this is not because I have all the answers, because I definitely don't. And I know that most founders don't feel like this is I don't need patterns. Patterns are irrelevant in many cases. Patterns are good for KPIs and benchmarks, but patterns do not understand a pandemic. Patterns do not understand a recession because none of what anyone has ever told me, and this is not a knock on Sequoia, but Sequoia's COVID proposal and and presentation that they wrote on how to navigate it was completely wrong in many ways. And I've seen plenty of examples of that. and, And like the purpose is awesome and it makes so much sense, but we are now living in a world where we have a retail trader environment in the publics that are can change a stock in the beat of the eye, right? Institutional support in late stage equity is completely different than it was five years ago. Inflation rates are now rethinking private equity versus venture. And so all of those new dynamics, there's no pattern to go back to, right? Mm -hmm. There's no pattern to say, this is the way it used to be. And at the end of the day, we as operators are managing for enterprise growth for the business and our culture as our second. So like, building a product, selling it. And then our second best and most important product is our culture and our team. And so that's what we're focused on. We're not focused on someone else's return. 
how they protect their LP relationships. That is a byproduct. We'll talk to them. We'll do whatever we can, but it is about operating a business. And that's a big dissection when you put new hats on, when you're all in the same boardroom and you have different sort of outcome expectations. So for us, it's all about alignment. We really push for alignment. When we take on new money, we ask to see what their MOIC expectations are. Like we like, I want to see your model. And that is something that we have done so well. It allows us to keep operating, know when we will hit milestones that make people celebrate. And then it gives us optionality. Optionality is is critical when you're a founder as well as an investor in a illiquid asset. Excellent. Last two questions, and we could do it rapid fire. One is, can you tell us about a person who has had a profound influence on you? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that. Yeah, obviously, my co-founders has been a pain in my ass and, and also my best friend and consigliere. We're like brothers. You know, joking aside, he's pushed me to try to be a better operator and a better co-founder and better leader. But growing up, you know, my uncle was incredibly successful and grew into a, a really powerful career in banking. And, you know, he always told me that it's not how smart you are. It's not where you came from. It's just find transformational purpose in life and stick to it and fight for it and do not give up ever. And Rich and I found that purpose, right? With cloud beds, we're trying to really solve an industry that we love. I've been to 57 countries. Rich has been to 50 something countries. Like we love the travels in our DNA. And I want my kids to do what I got to experience when I was growing up. But there are things that are broken in this industry that we have to fix. We have to fix it for the hoteliers. We have to fix it for the guests. And if we can do that, that means we will be part of a billion and a half people going in and out of hotels every year. And I'd like to think about that more than 10% of them will actually flow through cloud bets. And we will be a huge part of the travel experience. And we will also leave a mark on history. All of us inside CloudBets have this purpose. And it's not about an exit. It's about building on that dream of trying to power every property in the world and knowing that we can one day. So that would be my uncle sort of put that into my DNA and my father reinforced that. And you know, we sort of, both of us live that in different ways. Last question. Can you tell us about a charity cause or other endeavor that you're passionate about? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I'm really excited and I I think I could say, but I'm about to join the board of this nonprofit and it's giving laptops to underserved students around the United States. And it's actually a, a nonprofit here in town and it's going national. And so what I love about that is there are many organizations doing this, right? But what's most important is STEM. STEM is so important in future development for our country, for what we ultimately became and came from. Like we were the industrial titan throughout the 20th century and now leading into 21st century with AI. We need people on tech. We need people with access to information. We need to train our future generations. Like nothing makes me happier when I see my little guy on my laptop pretending to be daddy working. And it's now we've put them into games and things like that, that are related to like programming and the logic concepts and things like that. Because I want him to have that in his DNA because I think that's so important. So that's something that I'm really excited about. I am deeply, deeply connected to bringing technology to everyone on this planet. And I think that's super important. Excellent. Well, Adam, thank you so much again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. Oh, wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it.